0: It's Karina here. Before we get into the show, I'm excited to let you know that my book that started it all, Spirit Sisters, has been re-released in a new 10th anniversary edition and it's available now. I really can't wait for you all to discover this book that's so close to my heart. If you pick up a copy, I'd love to hear what you think. Find it at any good bookstore.
1: A man uh, sort of attacked her. He started to hit her And abuse her, and she kind of fell onto the floor of the bus. And she looked at me in the dream and she kind of reached out and she just said, Please help me.
0: (laughs) You're listening to The Ghost Files, the podcast where everyday people share their extraordinary experiences of the spirit world. My name is Karina Machado. I'm a journalist who spent more than a decade telling true stories about mysteries and marvels, as I like to call them, through my books, Spirit Sisters, Where Spirits Dwell, and Love Never Dies. And more recently, through my podcasts, Spirit Sisters, and this show, The Ghost Files. I'm always so happy to read your feedback. So if you love The Ghost Files, it would be wonderful if you could please take a moment to rate and review the show. That's the best way for others to find their way to us. And it might be just what they need. That was the case for my guest today. Jules, who wrote to say that he loves the show because, and I'll quote him, It makes me feel like I am not alone in my paranormal experiences and that I am not crazy. Jules shared a couple of the many experiences that he's had throughout his life. And as soon as I heard about these moments, I knew I had to invite him on the show so that you can hear them too. Enjoy my conversation with Jules. Get ready for Goosebumps. Now, Jules, you're about to tell us about two key experiences that have really left a mark on you. But before you do, please just tell us a little about your life today and why it is that you tend to keep these kinds of experiences that you have to yourself.
1: Thanks, Karina. I work in a, in a fairly corporate environment. Um, you know, I work in the finance sector, and and have have done so for most of my adult career. And I think that, you know, that industry, which which I actually quite enjoy, you know, it deals with people that are generally quite analytical. They like to work in facts and data and they, you know, analyse things and things usually have some type of a tangible outcome. You know, and if you you can't explain something, well, you usually find data that can explain it. Yes. <laughs> but, I, but I think you know it also attracts, I think, personality types that are quite sceptical. And, look, I think it, it's healthy to have a healthy degree of scepticism about many things. But I, I think, you know, given that environment, I've not felt overly safe for <laughs> <Yes. laughs> want of a better term uh, to, to come out and let more people know that I, I have a, I don't know, a psychic ability for, more, I, I don't know how to describe it. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's funny, you know, I'm, I'm an openly gay man, but I um, have, have no issues with that. But I still can't come out about this. You can't
0: come <laughs> out of the spiritual closet, Joel <laughs> I, I
1: can't. I can't. So um, I generally kind of keep it to myself. And there's certainly some people uh, who I have worked with and who I do work with who I trust, and I have shared with them, and they've been extremely receptive and uh, on the same page. So, Mm. yeah.
0: Well, we're very fortunate that today you're going to open up here on the show about two haunted houses that you've experienced at different points in your life. And let's begin with the first story, which takes us back, I believe, Jules, to the year 2000, when you were around 20 years old.
1: Yes, yes. So... Around that time, uh, I I, I live in Melbourne and I, I'm permanently based here and I, I love Melbourne, um, but I, I grew up in Brisbane and a really good friend of mine, who I'm still really close to, uh, had moved to Sydney and he was sort of living the whole sort of share house lifestyle in, in, in a city, Sydney, in, in Chippendale at the time. And he said, look, I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks. Why don't you come down and uh, spend a couple of nights here? You can crash with me. Because I actually hadn't been to Sydney that that many times. I think I'd only been maybe once or twice before. So it was a good chance to kind of take a bit of a break and uh, pop down for a couple of days and, and see my friend who had just moved there. As I said, it was this, he, he lived in Chippendale. And at that time, it was pretty run down. So I'm sure that you know nowadays that that area has been, Gentrified, um, and yeah. uh, a lot of those thundering big Victorian mansions would be developed. But at that time, he was living in a huge Victorian terrace with uh, quite a number of people, um, and it was very rundown. <laughs> so <laughs> um, there was no luxury there by by any stay, uh, sort of stretch of the imagination. So I went down and stayed with him. It was it was full of LGBTI flatmates. So there was a a, a gay couple from Italy that were living there, and another gay guy, a really funny uh, lesbian who was living with him as, as well. All of them had a wide range of jobs and you know they, they would come and go there mm. quite at different hours because they all kind of had different work. But um, for the couple of days that I was down there, I was just literally sleeping with my, my friend in his bed because there wasn't much room. Yep. <laughs> so, um, you know, we just sort of, he would go to work during the day and then I'd sort of do my own thing during the day. The one drawback of this house was that the, the bathrooms, the, the only toilet and the only bathroom were what I would describe as like a lean to that was, was built out the back of the property off an alleyway. Wow. So I I would say that it was probably built maybe in the 1960s and that was the only way to go to the toilet or or bathroom. So you would go down the back through the kind of kitchen and you would be literally outside. So you would have to do this little dash of a couple of metres to this kind of flimsily constructed bathroom. (laughs) Sounds
0: terrible. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes, and thankfully I wasn't there during winter, um, but yeah. it was, uh, I'd imagine it'd be quite cold, or if it was raining, you <laughs> oh know, um, yeah. get sort of uh, stuck out there. So that was the one drawback of this, of this particular sort of uh, property. So on the morning of my experience, so I, I think I'd arrived the day before and I had um, slept that night with... Sort of in my friend's bed and he was going off to work really early that morning. Now, I remember the night before when I met all of the flatmates and everything because we were having a few drinks, we had to kind of talk about the operational movements of using that bathroom the next morning so that they would all get to work on time because they all had to leave in early in the morning. So I said, look, no problem. I've got no plans. I'm just going to be sightseeing. So I will wait until all of you have left before I use the bathroom. So they said, yeah, look, we should be gone by the 8.30, 9 o'clock, and then it's all yours. So that was fine. I heard my friend get up in the morning at about oh, maybe 8 8.00, o'clock, 8.30, something like that, and I went back to sleep. When I went back to sleep, I, I had this really odd, really, really vivid dream, that, and it's still probably one of the most vivid dreams I've ever had which it it really stuck with me and in this dream i was on a bus and uh, i felt just like a passenger on this particular bus um and it felt like it was the 1960s or 70s just by the way people were dressed on this bus and look i'm going to assume that the bus ride was taking place in in sydney Uh, The bus was really kind of sparsely occupied. There weren't too many people on it, but uh, there were mostly white people on the bus. And what stood out to me was that there was an Aboriginal lady that was seated next to a large white man on this bus. They they seemed like a couple or were together of sorts, But, but the white man was extremely drunk and, um, When I looked at this woman, because I thought this situation feels really weird that, you know, we've got all of these people just seated taking a bus ride and then there's this odd drunk white man and an Aboriginal lady next to him who felt, I looked at her and she looked straight at me and I could tell this awful kind of sadness and despair when, when I sort of looked at her. And the next thing that happened in the dream was this, a man uh, sort of attacked her. He started to hit her and abuse her and she kind of fell onto the floor of the bus and she looked at me in the dream and she kind of reached out and she just said, please help me. And what I was so like, the emotions that were going through me in this dream, I still feel them now was I was so angry that no one got up and did anything. That that was the first thing that struck me. I thought, you know, they just didn't want to get involved. It wasn't their business. That's what I really kind of felt. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she kind of reached out to me with her hand while she was on the floor and I was on the bus, I, I woke up. I jolted up in the bed. And when I did that or because I did that, it was because I had felt someone or something sit on my feet on the bed. And when I sort of jolted up, I saw what was a uh, a large indent on the end of the bed where my feet were. Now, I don't know disrespect to this poor woman's soul, but she was a big lady. So she yeah. was uh, well built. Mm-hmm. And it, it it looked like somebody's big bum on the end of the bed, right. <laughs> Def- definitely w- where my feet were. And I was so startled that I I, I just sort of – I almost didn't want to uh, recognise it in a way. Yeah. And I immediately thought, oh, you know, maybe, surely someone's got to be home or something, you know, or I've jolted up because something's crashed or something, I don't know. So I sort of sprung out of bed. And I checked to see if anyone was home, but absolutely no one was home. And I was a bit freaked out and I thought, oh, anyway, but I, can't, I pulled myself together yeah. <laughs> and I, I couldn't stop thinking about this dream mm. that was just going in my head. So I thought, look, you know, it's, it's a lovely day. And I do remember it was actually a beautiful, beautiful Sydney day. The sunshine was out. It was a beautiful blue sky. And it was just so weird that I'd had this really sad, awful uh, dream. I, I had a cup of tea and I watched a little bit of TV and I thought, you know what, time to get my day underway. Maybe an hour had passed in between the dream and the experience on, on the bed. And I thought, oh, look, I'll have a shower. I'll get my day underway. Grabbed all my toiletries. I, I braved this uh, this shack out the back of the property to go and, um, and, and use the bathroom. Now, my friend had taken the the one and only key that he had to the property. So, the keys to the property were like a, like a deadbolt. Mm-hmm. So, you could only really open them either from the inside by turning the lock or on the outside, the only way you could lock it was via a key.
0: Right, which you didn't so have.
1: I did not have. Mm-hmm. And I remember the door was a beautiful old Victorian type kind of door and mm-hmm. I remember... Bolting it open and chocking the, uh, the the doorstop of the, the door wide open because that's what my friends had told me to do. They said, look, it's really safe here. There's there's no entry from the back from this alleyway anyway. Just leave it open while you go to the bathroom. You know, it'll be fine. So, you know, I did what I was told. Anyway, went into the bathroom, got dressed and everything. When I was leaving the bathroom and came up the stairs to, to go back into the property, I just remember thinking, eh. I had left that door wide open and it it certainly was was closed. Mm. So uh, the door was locked and I thought, oh, <laughs> this is not good. <laughs> <laughs> and this was in the days before sort of mobile phones. I don't even think I had one at that point in time. And I, so I thought, oh, gee, I can't really call anyone. I've got no key. I just instinctively thought this woman is trying to get my attention. Mm. So I simply said out loud, said, look, you know, if you want me to hear you or help you, I'll do my best. I don't really know how to, but can you please unlock the door? Cause I need to get inside and I'm happy to try and help you as, as, as best as I can with that chill went down my spine. I heard the door click. And I thought someone has to be playing a joke on me. You know, I thought one of them has to be inside there doing this. Sure enough, I opened the door really slowly. There was nobody home. But it was weird. As soon as I walked in, I didn't feel, I I felt quite uh, peaceful. Like I, I honestly felt like she really wanted to connect and just have somebody hear her. Yes, yes. And I I sat down in that little kitchen just by myself and I I still remember the beautiful day that it was outside and I just tried to kind of meditate as best that I could as a 20-year-old with no (laughs) real understanding of that kind of could and just said, look, this man – can't hurt you anymore. I'm sure he's well and truly gone. I really feel sorry for what must have happened to you in your life, but you need to move on. I'm sure that there is more light for you somewhere. And it's weird, I, did, I maybe sat there for what was maybe five or ten minutes. Seems like a lot longer when I sort of think back, but it probably wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I just really felt like a bit of a shift or something. And then I, I got up and sort of went about my day. I, I went out and I did a bit of sightseeing and then. When I met my friend after work and we all sort of regathered that evening when everyone came home from work, I I told everyone what happened. And I said to them all, look, don't want to freak you out, but this happened to me this morning. And it's funny, all of the boys, my friends included, like, oh, you know, you must have been drunk or something from last night or something, you know, I think they're quite, you know, sceptical people. Sure. And I said, look, this certainly happened. However, the female flatmate, she said, look, I've had my own experience here. And she said, uh, because she had a room on the second floor where there were these very uh, steep steps that led up there. And she said, I swear that I have seen at the top of those steps a dark-skinned lady looking at me. And it's funny, what I failed to mention just before as well, is when I was sort of meditating and connecting with this lady, I got this weird uh, pain in my lower back and a pain in my neck. And I don't know what that was, but in mm-hmm. hindsight, I, I, I feel that those steps had something to do with this lady's passing. This, this girl had said to me, you know, that she said, I have had, a vision um, of this this woman, and she said, "I've always felt that she fell down the steps, or rather, threw herself down the steps in despair, and that is how she passed."
0: So, so you know, that's that, interesting. Did that mm, sort of offer a kind of validation to you, Jules?
1: Yeah, it it, it did. It was it was a little bit scary. Yeah. <laughs> because it, that had not happened to me. You know, it was it was quite a a moving. Mm. Um, yet validating experience, but it was still quite comforting. And I really hope that I was able to offer this poor soul some type of, uh, you know, a spiritual shoulder to cry on, so to speak. Yes. Because it sounded like she had indeed had a quite a horrible um, life. I just got this awful sense of sadness when she reached out to me and when I had, in particular, that scene that I had seen on that bus, it, it made me really angry, to be honest. Mm. Um And it was just so helpless. Yes.
0: It's a very moving story, as you say. It's poignant. And to me it illustrates something that's often struck me about the sharing of ghost stories, as we call them, that Mm. in a way they are a remembrance of life, not death. By you telling this lady's story, even though we don't know her name, we Mm. all have the chance to think of her now and I guess Mm. in a way celebrate her life and... Perhaps let her know that she's not forgotten.
1: Yes, I I think that's um, a a really good way of of looking at it. I hope that um, her her story does get remembered in Mm. some type of a happy way, you know, because I'm sure that parts of her life were probably not overly happy.
0: Yes. Well, yeah. Jules, your next story is about a different kind of haunted house. Now, we're still in Sydney, but at a different yes. stage of your life. Please yes. tell us what happened when you went to stay with another friend at her home in Gladesville for the yes. weekend.
1: <laughs> a considerable time had passed between that story and the next one. So probably around 2009, okay. I want to say. Yeah. So probably about nine or ten years after the first incident. And um, she'd invited me over for, uh, for lunch at her house and she owned a beautiful little weatherboard home in beautiful leafy Gladesville in, in Sydney. Mm-hmm. You know, quite a picturesque little street. So she'd lived in that home for quite a number of, of years. Beautiful little weatherboard, very small, sort of two bedrooms with kind of like an open lounge room and dining area. And she'd added on a, a, a kitchen and sort of bathroom at the back sort of in the 1980s. So anyway, um, beautiful day. We're in the kitchen at the back end. Where the kitchen is situated, there is like a long hallway that allows a view straight to the front door. As with these kind of workers' cottages, there's like a solid concrete, I want to say veranda, but it's not really a veranda. It's kind of like a just a block of concrete at the front of the yeah. property with a couple of little steps and then you've literally got the, the footpath On the nature strip. But where this block of concrete or slash veranda is at the front, that was all fenced, with the exception of like a little entry uh, for for guests to come into the front door. You know, you look straight down the hallway and you see right down the center of the the property and you look, you can see into the backyard, but right at the back there, which is where we were, was the kitchen area. So, anyway, my friend was cooking lunch, I was having a glass of wine, we were chit chatting and I caught out of the corner of my eye when I was at the back that there was someone at the front door and um, sun was out, beautiful blue sky, light was streaming into the back of the property. And I looked up at the front and I thought, oh, there's a man at the front door. So I said to my friend, oh, look, there's someone at the front door because she had one of those kind of security screens yep. and then uh, the, the actual door was open. It was only the security screen that was kind of locked. Okay. So she said, she said, I'll go to the front door and see who it is. So anyway, as I was sort of looking at this man, and it was in summer, so it was quite warm, he had a, a very large brimmed hat on. The type that, you know, like a stockman would maybe wear yeah. if it was raining. <laughs> so, you know, like a, like a dry as a bone. Dry as if, a bone, it, yes. Yeah, yeah, dry as yeah. a bone is the kind of uh, style of um, uh, sort of thing that he had draped around him and his really, really broad hat and quite a tall man. And I couldn't really see any facial features or anything because like, I was too far away. But as I went to the front door and I yelled out to him, I said, oh, oh I'm coming, as I got to the front door, he darted to the side and I thought to myself, where's he going? <laughs> because he can't go anywhere because it's sort of fully encased yes. in, in that kind of siding on the, the veranda. And I opened the door and I went to look to the sort of side where he darted and there was absolutely nobody there. And I thought, that's that's weird. <laughs> <laughs> I even went out the front and sort of went down the side of the house to look out there to see if he'd, you know, gone down there or something, but there was absolutely nobody there. And I thought that's really odd. And then I came back inside and I said to my friend, I said, that was really weird. I said, oh, you know, uh, there was a man at the door. And I said, when I got there, he darted to the side and he wasn't there. and And she said, oh. What did he look like? And I said, Oh, he had a really big hat, and he was wearing like this sort of driver thing. And she, and she said, Oh, she goes, you you finally met my ghost. She had not told me about this uh, before, and she went on to explain to me that he would he would generally manifest in her life because she had lived there for probably over 20 years at that point. um and he would manifest when she was going through a turbulent relationship with with a man she said oh he generally doesn't like other men in the home so but i had stayed there quite a number of times prior with no incident or no knowledge of this man that's
0: interesting yeah
1: funny enough though you you know you talk about points in your life Mm. you know she was actually going through a, a rather dramatic breakup with a with a man at that time.
0: Right. So okay. I
1: think he had sort of, you know, popped up again to kind of show himself. Yeah, check in term. on her. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. she said to me, she, she said, I've only seen him a, a number of times, like not many times at all. But she said he he loves to move furniture around. And I said, oh, okay. So we kind of left it at that and, I must admit, I was a little freaked out because I was staying there that evening. Yes. Anyway, we'd had a few drinks. We actually had quite a few drinks <laughs> that evening. And it was a lovely night, you know, anyway. And then we said goodnight to each other. And her bedroom was directly across from mine in this small sort of hallway. And at about 3.30 in the morning, I was woken up to very much the sound of moving furniture. She had a very large three-seater, stonking, great big leather, couch Mm -hmm. and she had wooden floorboards and look you couldn't walk in that you couldn't even tiptoe in that home without making a noise just because of the age of it you know and it was it was certainly a creaky home yep but this was definitely something going on and so I woke up I could hear all of this furniture being moved in the next room I could hear my friend snoring in the next room.
0: Right, so it's not her moving it. (laughs)
1: It's not her. And I sort of stuck my head around the corner and looked at her and she was sound asleep. And I went into the lounge room and I turned the light on and sure enough the entire couch was just skewed. It was like someone had just slapped it around and it had just sort of moved. It was at a really odd angle.
0: Oh, that's weird to see.
1: Yeah, and I woke her up. Uh, I said, "Hey," I said, "This this has just happened," and she said, "Oh," and she sort of just yelled at him <laughs> and said, "Look, let us get some sleep. This guy's okay, you know." And then we we went back to sleep. But um, and look, I I think I stayed there probably another night as well, and there was no incident after that. Okay. But, um, you know, the strange thing that happened was probably about a year after that, my friend got a knock at her front door by a, a lady who was probably around maybe 50 with her daughter, who was probably, you know, late teens or early 20s. My friend answered the door and she said, oh, look, hi, I just wanted to um, – it was a really weird request. She said, this is my daughter. Uh, my grandparents owned this home and they, they built the property I think she said in the 1930s or 40s, which would probably tie into the age of the, the property. And she said, you know, they they both passed away here. I was just wondering, you know, if you would let me show my granddaughter just the property, if you wouldn't mind. And my friend was fine with that. She said, oh, look, sure, come on in. She, what she did say, though, she said, uh, what did your grandparents do for work? So she said uh, that her grandfather had worked on the railway. I'm imagining, you know, that back in those days, you would maybe have some type of a stand issue, uniform mm-hmm. of sorts or mm-hmm. something. So that might have explained the large hat and and maybe the kind of uh, coat or something. I don't know. Perhaps. It, it, to me, when I first looked at him, I remember thinking that it could have been some type of workman, like, yep. you know, just like a, a street worker or something that was sort of doing some maintenance on the road. Uh, That's yep, yep. the vibe that I got.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. Wow.
1: Two experiences that I have had with some um, some look relatively friendly ghosts I would say yes.
0: well <laughs> um, they yeah. are wonderful stories Jules and I feel very privileged that you've shared with us because as you told us earlier you you do tend to keep a lid on these we are at the end of our time together Jules but I, I can't let you go without asking what an encounter with the dead can teach us about actually living
1: for me it, it does and I go back to that word comfort it provides I feel comfort that we are not alone. There is something else beyond here and now. And, you know, they talk about the veil. To me, I think that is quite a, a, a nice metaphor. You know, there is there is another aspect to life as we know it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, when I hear these types of messages from people that have passed over, it's very much, I get the very clear message that that is not the final place either. There is somewhere else after that. And where that is, I I don't know. (laughs) So It is a mystery. Um, Correct, correct. Oh, well, thank you.
0: Yes, comfort. That's a lovely message, a lovely end note for us. And it's been so wonderful to speak with you today, Jules. Enjoy the rest of your day. And thank you for coming on The Ghost Files.
1: Thanks for having me, Karina. Thank you.